The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. Tacos are for eating. Mmm, <laughs> tacos. And we are live to the W2M Network with the kickoff. Week, technically I guess this would be week 18 edition, although we will officially dub this Wild Card Weekend edition. Good evening, afternoon, whenever you're listening, everybody. I am your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, the Down Since Day One co-host turned executive producer, Brandon Biscuitman. Hey, hey, hey. The executive producer turned co-host, Eric Watkins. I believe I can fly. (laughs) I believe I can touch the sky. I'll think about it every night and day. Spread my wings and fly away. I can't believe I can fly. I, I can't believe Harry let that go as long as he did. Um, I will just say this much. At least he didn't believe he could unzip his fly. <laughs> hey, now. Oh, he can do that all the time. And I can't even finish the rest of that lyric tonight. <laughs> Yo, body. Never mind. Moving on. And the chairman of the W2M Network, Jason Teasley. One half of the monsters. You really just monster? Everybody knows it's yeah. about me. Do you know, uh, you want to know a funny thing about that? Is why did they take Sean Bradley? <laughs> because, no, because in the movie, the guy that took Sean Bradley's power was as useful as Sean Bradley. He has scored zero points and done absolutely nothing on the court. <laughs> So they got a guy, Sean Bradley's character, down right. I'm still trying to figure out what it was exactly that made Sean Bradley an NBA player, other than the fact that he was seven foot six. He was seven six. That's all you needed back then. <laughs> yes, seven six and not a whole lot else to the table. This, but I mean, you could have got Manu, Akeem, Dikembe Mutombo. Th- no, th- no, this no, is. No. In my house. This is like talking about Vince and uh, his propensity for big sweaty men. Well, we all know that Vince McMahon loves big sweaty. Okay, that's going to get us sued. This is time, <laughs> duds and duds. Eric, you start us off as per usual. Now, as we've discussed from time to time on the kickoff, that there's one particular team that. They, they have a special place in our hearts, especially when it comes to bowl season. But, uh, alas, there was a slightly different uh, outcome as compared to, like, say, last season. My stud for actually showing up, making the SEC look good, and although I'll, I admit it toned down the potential chaos just a little bit, <clears throat> LSU. It, it was on them to end UCF streak. And while there was a couple of bit of a squeaky bum moments in the fourth quarter, they really did. UCF put up a great fight, but I had faith in them and my Yahoo picks. But uh, yeah, the number fell perfectly. LSU, to make it just like that and find a way to screw me over, well done. 
we all talked about what a surprising upset it was last year when LSU beat Auburn in the same uh, in the same bowl game last year, the Fiesta. The last about- year it was in the Peach, wasn't oh. it? Was it in the Peach Bowl? Were they in Georgia? I think it was in the Peach Bowl, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. We were all talking about what a gigantic upset it would have been for LSU or for uh, Central Florida to beat Auburn last year. The thing about this year's game was, is for as much crap as I gave Brandon going into this game last week on this show, and I did pick LSU to win this game. I would not have been surprised at all if UCF would have beat LSU because LSU was one of the most up and down teams all season in college football. This was an LSU team that went from losing to Florida to not only beating Georgia, but absolutely decimating the Bulldogs. I will say, I think if McKenzie would have been healthy, uh, UCF would have won. And Agreed. Uh, I feel the same way. When we did our predictions last week, I basically said as much, Brandon. Oh, I know. LSU wins, and sure enough. I, I know. Jason, who's your stud for the week? My stud for the week is actually two and a half people because one of the people I can only mention in name because Harry will be covering later is the quarterback class from this year, specifically three people. One, the half, is Josh Allen, who was potentially my favorite quarterback coming out of the draft. The other two that I'd like to including this, played against each other week 17 with a, the AFC North on the line. And that's Baker Mayfield, who number one overall pick, people, as myself, question, who went for 376 yards, three touchdowns, and led the Browns to <clears throat> make this a, more of a game than what it should have been. On the other side of the ball, you have Lamar Jackson who has been phenomenal since taking over the starting role from Flacco. He only threw for 179 yards, but he also rushed for two touchdowns and 90 yards. This quarterback class is shaping up to be one of the better of recent memory. Um, Let's not also forget the job that, Let's not also forget the job that, and I think you were just about to get to it, that Sam Darno did with the Jets before their confidence in him was shaking. Darno actually had a couple of pretty good performances. With the Jets. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you know, those are just the three, the three, the top three, but you also got Darno and uh, Rosen in there. Rosen is was on a team that was had a lot of growing pains. But he he hung tough. He had glimpses of of hope and showed that he is going to be a good franchise quarterback in Arizona. The Jets were the Jets. I mean, no big name receivers, no big name running back, nobody to take the the load off of him. But Darno still had flashes of greatness in New York's and. Regardless, you know, me and Brandon being Giants fan, the New York media space in itself is hard to deal with, much less if you're the Jets quarterback. Mm-hmm. Especially so, considering past uh, 
experiences with quarterbacks for the Jets, like Geno Smith and Mark Butt Fumble Sanchez. Um, but the thing about this quarterback class is, while yes, they've done very well on the stat lines uh, this year in their rookie season, the big question is going to be, and and the issue is going to be, how are these teams going to do, and how is that going to impact this year's this class's legacy? Because a lot of the classes over the last couple of years that we've had have had good quarterbacks that have done well on a statistical level, but because their teams have been mediocre at best, they haven't gotten the recognition that some of the older classes get because of that. Well, well this is something... Go ahead, Eric. No, I was going to say, a lot of that is not only how do those quarterbacks themselves improve over time, but how do their teams improve mm-hmm. over time? I think if the teams themselves don't improve, then you're absolutely right. It takes away the shine off of what they've done. Exactly. I mean, I'm sure you guys, you've guys seen the famous pic, the Cleveland Brown quarterback jersey picture, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. The new one, only thing it does, it has the girl standing there, and it says Mayfield across the back. This kid, I doubted. I doubted him being the number one pick. I was totally against him being the number one pick. As was I. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That made all four of us. He has stepped up in a leadership role. He is, he's flashy. I, I dubbed him, even on this show, I dubbed him Johnny Manziel 2.0. Exact same here. He has stepped up. He has took a leadership role in that locker room as a rookie. He is earning the respect of his peers. Well, I think he has that- took a Cleveland team that has and almost gave them a winning season. Well, real quick, to kind of touch on what you were saying about Mayfield there, I think the biggest thing about that is he's changing the attitude in Cleveland, and specifically being the way like that he stared down Hugh Jackson on the sideline of the Cleveland-Cincinnati game, both of the Cleveland-Cincinnati games there. There wasn't a guy up in Cleveland that would have had the balls to do that at the quarterback position. I can guarantee you from complete and total knowledge of his run in Buffalo that Tyrod Taylor would not have done that. There is a moxie that Baker Mayfield brings to the Cleveland organization that has been desperately needed. And maybe some of us were worried that he might bring too much of that moxie to the organization, but it turns out that his attitude is exactly what was needed to turn that franchise around. Well, that's, that's exactly what I was about to say is the big thing we were all worried about going into the seat well, going into the draft at first about Mayfield was that he was going to be too confident. He was going to be too cocky. And as Jason said, he would be basically a giant Manziel 2.0 and would completely collapse under the pressure as a result. And also, and, and collapse under the fact that they were losing so much. It helps that their their team had overall has been much better than it was in years past. And it helped that they got off the schneid so quickly this season, winning their first game in what, only the sec what, third week of the season, I wanna say? Yeah, yeah it was third yeah. <clears throat> week three um, they moved to one one and one. Yeah. And even in the first week they managed to tie, so that kinda got them off the schneid 
automatically. So well, I think you can go back to the fact that it was Mayfield that led them to that win in week three against the Jets on Thursday night football. Oh, agreed. As well. Agreed. Um, so, and Mayfield has definitely stepped up, but like I said before, um, now it's up to the organization to give him the pieces around him in order to make Mayfield a truly successful quarterback in the NFL. And I'm not a hundred percent sure if Cleveland is able to do that. In the day before, in the days before John Dorsey, I may have agreed with you. We've seen Dorsey turn around franchises before, and it seems True. like he has trending in the right direction in Cleveland. True. Brandon, who's Cleveland, Cleveland is a wide receiver two away from winning the North. Mm-hmm. I'll agree with that. But, I mean, this is the Browns we're talking about, so, you know, we'll see what happens. All right, let's move on here, Brandon. Who's okay. your uh, who's your stud for the week? My, my stud for the week is Mr. Philip Rivers. 387 yards, three touchdowns in their win over, albeit the Raiders, um, or the Raiders, but um, still a very good game for him and a good way for the Chargers to go into the playoffs with a lot of momentum. My only concern is having to go to Baltimore wild card weekend for them. We'll oh, talk agreed. More, talk more about the wild card games coming up here. Instead of doing our buy or sell segment that we would traditionally do here, due to the fact that there isn't a whole lot of college football to discuss here other than the national championship game, which we will discuss. Uh, we will be using the opportunity that we have for where our buy or sell segment traditionally would be to discuss the four wild card games. And we'll be doing the same going forward for the, the divisional playoffs for the conference championships. Then obviously for Super Bowl 53. Um, Eric, I feel like you might be a little bit upset at me for my stud. Depends, but okay. I, I feel like this is somebody that you would have chosen for as your stud if I had not taken him from you. Possibly. I mean, after all, if there's one thing we're about at this podcast, we are definitely for the brand, are we not? Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. God, We are yes. definitely for the brand. You! And, and the most for the brand moment of the week in the NFL was Matt Prater tossing a touchdown pass for the Detroit Lions. And, and the call by Pat McAfee. <laughs> See, Jason, thank you. Go on Twitter. Find Pat McAfee's call of that play. You will not regret it. You could also just find it on YouTube as well, because I'm pretty sure it was plastered all over YouTube by Fox proper, actually. <laughs> Matt, um, the busiest day of the season in the NFL, all 16 games are in action here. It is the only Sunday in the NFL where all 32 teams play. They have to bring in extra announcers for this Sunday. One of those extra well, no, announcers. You got, you got week one. Everybody. No, they play. They have two. They have two Monday night football games. And the third they start on a Thursday as yep. well. That's this right. is the only Sunday of the season where all thirty-two teams are in action on the same day. Huh. Which means they need extra announcers in order to be able to call all sixteen games. One of the extra announcers that they brought in for these thirty-two, these thirty-two teams, these sixteen games, happened to be none other than Pat McAfee, he of the Pat McAfee Show. Available on Westwood One, I believe. 
Uh, Spotify and all of your traditional podcast mediums at Pat McAfee Show on Twitter. 2.0. And you oh, can no. also and you can also get a bonus at mybookie.ag. 50% on your first deposit if you use the promo code PAT. Plus, if you happen to be so inclined, you can also download the Action Sports Network app, sync your MyBookie account, and get all kinds of tracking on all of your action that you happen to place throughout the weekend or in general. Plus, if you log on to the Action Sports the app, go to actionsports.com slash pat. You can also be Pat McAfee in a contest involving this weekend's games. Play for free, win a grand. It's just that simple. Continue. Or you could or you could shoot out over to SeatGeek and use the promo code Pat for we're just shilling right now. <laughs> Look, do okay. it right. Promo code Pat for ten dollars off. Promo code McAfee for twenty dollars off. We but can't be keep for the out, brand you and you not gotta, you, you gotta keep at, you gotta keep the McAfee on the low low because you know we don't want we don't want them picking up and forgot that they you need to discontinue that coma promo code. So you gotta keep that <laughs> on the low low. You got a point there. Gotta quit giving away better. stuff for free, man. Come on. <laughs> The, the, the sponsors keep giving away stuff for free. They're never okay. I had a something to wrestle with moment there. I'm good. I'm back. <laughs> back to the uh, back to the reason there. Uh, not only is it uh, Matt Prater in general, it's going to be the Lions overall as they completely and absolutely decimate the Green Bay Packers in a 31 nothing shutout. These Packers simply did not care and they played like it in Lambeau in front of what is traditionally one of the loudest team, one of the loudest places in the NFL. You could have heard a pin drop with the way that the Lions put it on the Packers this past Sunday. Well, I heard they had a team meeting in the parking lot over a tailgate barbecue. You know, the owners meeting. Mm. Cuz at the end of the game there's still 80% of the fans still there. Yeah. And nobody knew why. Well, I mean, because what else is there to do in Green Bay, mm-hmm. Wisconsin, this time of year? Yeah, really. Just about to say that. Virginia, Michigan. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll be talking about Michigan here shortly. <laughs> Eric Dud, you're up. Now, for my particular Dud, I am sticking the college ranks, but not for the reasons you may think. You may think uh, I'm going to be a bit of a bad guy, but hear me out on this. Purdue. You had your moment in the regular season, that great upset win. But for Tyler Trent, very inspirational young man, may he rest in peace. What turned out to be his last game? The last time he gets to see you or anybody else, you... Do you even show up? Do you even think, hey, Tyler's in the stands. We got to win one more for him. 63 to 14, you you couldn't even compete for his sake? It's, sorry, Boilermakers. Y'all my dud. <laughs> I, no, I wouldn't let a fan like that go out like that. I'm pretty sure Tyler had more life than the Purdue team did. He did. Interesting fact, Jarrett Stidham was almost my stud for the week for the performance that he put in in that game. But I wanted to give Eric the opportunity to tell the Tyler Trent story here just because 
the guy had been everywhere in support of the team. And yeah, a super fan like that definitely deserves to go out with a much better performance than what the one the one that the Purdue Boilermakers offered him in the Music City Bowl. Jason, Dodd, you're up. Well, in honor of my daughter, whose favorite snack time is Cheez-Its and Goldfish, my dad is the Cheez-It Bowl. Yes, you heard that right. Nine interceptions, a sideline interference call, and a abysmal 10-7 to game that was sloppier than Eric's last rendezvous. Hey, now, we didn't need to change the sheets or anything. It was all good. <laughs> yeah, well, we, when you use rubber sheets, you never have to change them. Fair point. I, That's also why showers are there, too. I would I would take this opportunity to point out the fact that the Doritos say otherwise. Continue, Jason. <laughs> well, I mean, this game was abysmal. I mean, and it goes to show you that Sometimes you don't need 1,500 bowl games. Wait a minute. Oh, okay. But honestly, I ask a quick question first here. No, you can't. You can ask it. I doubt I answer. (laughs) How in the hell do two Pac-12 teams end up facing off in a bowl game? Well. Because it's a meaningless bowl. Because bowls have no meaning. They're nothing but cash grabs. (laughs) Exactly. and you know, if you if you can do something and play a meaningless game in front of two hundred fans, why not do it? Jason, I'm, I can actually one up you for terrible games. Did you hear about the Red Box Bowl? No, I was going to say the Camping World Bowl, but we'll touch on that. Shortly. Well, I could bring up another one. Are you referring to the Surf Pro Bowl? Because we kind of touched on that one last week. Yeah, yeah, the fact that it didn't even happen. Well, it did, and then it didn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least it wasn't like the Red Box Bowl, where Fox hyped it up, they promoted it, and what happened? Oregon 7, Michigan State 6. Well, At least it was a close game. 7-6? <laughs> No. <laughs> not an offense was found. Not a creature was stirring. Not even Maddie. on the ground. <laughs> He's a poet who didn't even know it. Did you have anything else to add there, Jason, or shall we move on to Brandon Stud? No, I'm pretty sure that, you know, I, my acid reflex uh, reflects my thoughts of this game. Brandon Dud. Talking about it. So, while, yes, I know they were playing against the leader in the division and a team that will, pro- well, potentially could make a run in the playoffs because of their defense primarily, but you are playing for your playoff lives. And not only that, you are very simply, it's not a situation where you need other things to happen. It's a very simple win and you're in scenario. And yet you proceed to lose. I'm looking at you, Minnesota. You lost to the Bears. And not only did you lose to the Bears, you lost to the Bears when you were at home. Can I take this opportunity to point out you could say the same thing about the Tennessee Titans? Very true. But at least that scenario 
both teams were it was a win and you're in game for both of them. So both of them were playing for the same prize. This yes, one but... this one the Bears were playing on the hope that the Rams would lose and they could potentially get a number a first round bye. The Bears and weren't I'll playing for I'll nearly as much as the Vikings were. I'll one up you on that. And the Bears' two key receivers were out. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Anthony Miller separated his shoulder, and I, and I don't know if Allen Robinson even played. Did he? I don't believe so. I'm not. I forget. Brandon, he he didn't. He didn't play. But Brandon, I will give you two words. Okay. Kirk Cousins. I I agree with you. I agree with you, but that's why they are my dud. Can I ask you guys if you've seen the Facebook meme that made me chuckle up a Rory Sleeve no. today? No, I did not. It, it is a picture of a mugshot. Mug Police have captured a man accused of stealing 80, $84 million from a local football franchise, and it's a picture <laughs> of her husband and Viking. That's great. It's pretty funny. Speaking of teams that get people's hopes up and then nothing comes of it, Segway. My dud for the week is the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Oh God! <laughs> hey, hold on. I got, a, I got a question. What's the difference between Lucky Charms and Notre Dame? Uh, you usually find Lucky Charms in a bowl, showing up to a bowl. No, Lucky Charms actually belongs in a bowl. Notre Dame doesn't. <laughs> I was close. Yeah, you was on the right track. Great uh, venue for an outdoor hockey game, though. 30 to 3, and it wasn't that close. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to sit here and say that Ohio State would have shown up better than Notre Dame did. I'm not going to sit here and say that Central Florida would have shown up better than Notre Dame did because Clemson has been a juggernaut this year outside of the, per- the one performance in which they lost to. Hold on, I'm drawing a blank as to who beat them earlier in the year. Wasn't it like. No, they didn't lose this year. Excuse me. Yeah, no, they were undefeated. Yeah, Yeah, the closest they came was Syracuse, but that was with their third-string quarterback. That's the game I was thinking of, the Syracuse game, and they came back and won that in the fourth quarter. Yep. Correct. Other than that, Clemson had been a juggernaut this year, running Mm -hmm. through everybody in the ACC. Notre Dame, admittedly, while not as dominant as Clemson was in its ACC schedule, beat most of the same teams that Clemson beat from the ACC and then had a couple of standout victories in other games this year, such as Michigan to start the season, mm-hmm. and a pretty convincing performance against USC to close the season in order to secure their spot here. However, Notre Dame proceeded to do what Notre Dame always does in bowl games and not show up. This well, is a fighting Irish team who, despite the fact that they have the probable coach of the year in Brian Kelly, did not come out ready to participate in this game, and it clearly showed. Well, specifically, they don't show up back in the BCS era, and now in the college football playoff, they don't show up in those type of bowls. And Notre Dame has a very lengthy history, an extremely lengthy history. They broke their own record, fewest points scored in a bowl game, the first time that they couldn't even put up six. Um, let me first uh, mention, thank you for mentioning the real New Year's tradition, Eric. 
Uh, that was a great game, by the way. Um, and secondly, um, yeah, do you have you guys seen all these idiots online saying, "Oh, Notre Dame didn't deserve to be in"? I, I I've uh, seen them, and I'm like, who else would you put in? in yeah, that really. Well, what was funny is when <laughs> this is going to be a segue. I'm pretty sure of a discussion later on. As when the Notre Dame game happened, it said, it's, uh, it's like had the guy eating popcorn. It said, Georgia about right now. Yeah. Then Georgia's game kicked off, and it proves that they didn't belong there either. <laughs> oh, oh, I assure you we'll be talking about the Bulldogs a little bit later because we did our, B- we did our FCP New Year's Six predictions last week, and somebody called that happening. Fair enough. All right, let's go ahead and move on, though. And we move into So That Happened. Eric? Yeah. Um, Playing on a little bit of a something that will now forever be lost to the archives before the show, as we all know, the day after Week 17 in the NFL is considered Black Monday. Oh, Lord. <laughs> We're just going to call it Eric Day. <laughs> yeah, Um. not only was there a little bit of an extra twist to that this year, because, um, yeah, what was it, five African-American coaches fired among everybody in a fell swoop, and I'm like... Yeah, so this is really going to be a thing. They're really living up to this. But uh, needless to say, the coaching carousel is in, I can't even say full swing, because it's worse than that. Brian Kelly's name out there, Jim Harbaugh's, McCarthy's, your other typical retreads, coaches being fired for no reason, guys like Cliff Kingsbury, and I'm just like, he just... uh, I couldn't even understand it this year in particular. Well, but somebody did manage to, I mean, we'll go ahead. We'll discuss this real quick. The most coveted job that became available was the Cincinnati Bengals. Because you could suck for 16 years and never get fired. Pretty much. And not winning the playoffs whatsoever. So I'm pretty sure that the Cincinnati Bengals job is going to be the most coveted job for any coach this offseason. Well, I don't know. Josh McDaniel says he wants to go to Cleveland. I am going to state for the record that Hugh Jackson gets fired in Cincinnati because they do not care about their fan base. <clears throat> Y'all guffaw. Watch it happen. I'm not even so falling. I'm like, no, that's a legit Bengals thing that they would yeah, do. Yeah, I, I can see it happening. Hugh Jackson doesn't need a job coaching ever. <laughs> really? I 100% agree with that, but let's be honest here, Jason. Bengals gonna Bengals. That's exactly the reason why Bengals are gonna Bengal. That's why they would hire him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, he did, he did come in and they went on one of their longest losing streaks of recent memory. Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't Cincinnati like five and three at one point this season? 
And yeah. did Andrew Dalton get hurt? Uh, Bengals going to Bengals indeed. All right, Jason. So that happened. Well, my soul that happened has ties to something later on the show. But it was a report that came out that a certain superstar wide receiver missed practice and became benched in one of the most important games of the season, meaning if he had played and the Steelers won, they would have been a little bit more comfortable cheering for the Browns. But as recent reports have shown, uh, Antonio Brown missed practice. Some people say it was injury. Some people said that him and Ben Roethlisberger got into an argument. Ben grabbed his 510 ass and threw him under the bus saying, you know, talking about his leadership and his role on the team is he's starting to get jealous of Juju and because Juju's kind of almost surpassing him on the team. I like Juju, but Antonio Brown is still the number one receiver in mm -hmm. Pittsburgh. I mean, Juju is coming on strong. I'll give Juju credit, but he's no A.B. And wouldn't that help A.B. having a secondary option so that he can get open easier? Get that? Well, it sounds like, you know, I want to throw it back to something I heard today on For the Brand. Um, do you, and everybody's like criticizing A.B. Maybe A.B. is not the asshole in the situation because him having a problem with Ben and it just coming out of quote unquote nowhere. Ben also called out his receipt, uh, rookie receivers earlier in the year. Maybe Antonio Brown was just tired of being running his cock holster and stood up for a fellow receiver and led some for some friction there. But okay, I, I, at the same time, I get that, but I go back to Ryan Clark when he had mentioned this. I believe he was on ESPN. He was there in the locker room in Antonio Brown's early years. After Mike Wallace, the Steelers decided they weren't going to pay him that whole thing. They knew they were going to give Antonio Brown pretty much franchise wide receiver money. Ryan looked at the trainers and said, the minute he gets paid, he's going to become a monster. And that's when he started having a little bit of an attitude, being a little bit extra cock of the walk, things like that. So I think this, I wouldn't say he was the only guy who was wrong in this situation, but there's some stuff coming out behind the scenes that eh, you can't entirely deflect the blame away from him. Well, also, it has led to reports of him wanting traded to the point where a certain amazing tight end in the, in the Bay Area <laughs> tweeted out a picture of him wearing a 49ers uniform, which kind of brought happiness to AB. The big question here, and we, we talked about this last week, does all of this friction and 
controversy and drama, does this impact Mike Tomlin's job? Segway! Um, actually, no, I changed off of it, but we can kind of touch on it now. Oh, okay, never mind. That's the only reason you changed off on it. Okay, save that for later then. (laughs) Brandon, so, that happened. Okay, so one of the big storylines a little earlier on in the season was the whole Reuben Foster thing. Charged of domestic violence, and then cut by the 49ers, and then automatically picked up by the Redskins. Now he has been cleared of all charges, and does that change your thoughts on the Redskins picking him up and or the 49ers uh, cutting him at all? No, and here's no, why. Bruce. No, and here's why. Because when you have even those kind of suspicions around a player, that is not somebody I would want involved with my organization. True. It is, but it is but like but like we've said with other athletes and other people in the spotlight, when does the line between you know innocent until proven guilty and what today's you know, society does, you know, especially when it comes to celebrities, which basically is guilty until proven innocent, where does that change? Well, I I, I said this, and I even said this a lot to guys like Jameis Winston. You've got to get to a point where you need to realize you can't be in certain situations where Things will even be alleged. And like I hear all the time, number one, everybody's got a camera mm-hmm. right on their cell phone. We've gotten to the mentality of instead of intervening or doing anything about a situation one way or another, we're quick to record it so that way we can get some sort of recognition for a viral video. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. And another thing, I completely agree with you. Guilty until proven innocent. There's so many people all throughout social media, Twitter, everywhere else that can generate so much of an outrage so quickly. Corporations, organizations, whatever, bow to the pressure. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when they should, sometimes when they shouldn't. So if you are an athlete, a celebrity, what have you, You have got to understand this is 2019. The world has changed. And if this this keeps going, it's only going to get worse. Well, that's exactly what I was about to say. This has pretty much opened up Pandora's box where anyone, even without proof, as we've seen countless times, anyone, especially a female if they so chose, can say that a celebrity did something to them and completely ruin their lives without any proof or anything, and and then even when it comes out that it was false, then there's still nothing that they can do and they're still hailed as a pariah. Um, this is, this is a sensitive subject for me. And I'm gonna I'm gonna tread lightly and not get into things. Um, 
it's when, I mean, it's back when we, we, we went downhill and on this slippery slope when we started acting like everybody's opinion mattered and mm-hmm. basically giving participation awards and making everybody feel like they, they matter more than anybody else. Yeah. When mm-hmm. you do that, you take the mentality of, and I'm going to say this and it probably will piss people off. And if so, Turkey glue 822 on Twitter, I don't give a damn. It's the pussification of America. You've got mm-hmm. a bunch of entitled, you've got a bunch of entitled kids coming up through the ranks thinking that they're special. You see dollar signs and it's a lot easier to make an accusation and get a payday than actually go out and work for it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to argue against nope. that. I'm completely on board. Yep. <laughs> A lot of what you guys said resonates here. Guilty until proven innocent. There is an entitled society thing here. I'm of the opinion, though, that I want the highest character people working for my organization to keep everything above board. But that's... This is not the, this is not the only issue that has plagued Reuben Foster in the past. If it were just this, then yes, I might be a little more willing to forgive, forget, and move on. But given the other historical issues that Foster has had in the past, I steer away from a guy like that because trouble seems to find him wherever he goes, be it legitimately or not legitimately. Oh, I'll agree with you on that, that, you know, you, you know, as a celebrity, as an athlete, you know, you have to, you know, keep your nose out of any sort of situation that would even potentially cause any problems. But I'm going, I'll I'll go into, this is outside of the sports realm, but I'll give you a prime example of what Eric and I are talking about, and that is um, is uh, Chris uh, Hardwick. There was no mm-hmm. there was no sort of negative connotation behind him. He, he had no record of any sort of negativity behind him. He seemed like a perfect gentleman. He seemed like you know a stand up guy. All of that, no pun intended, stand up guy, but. One accusation completely ruins his entire career, and everyone with half a brain knew that it was false. And yet, still, AMC, Nerdist, everyone just completely cut the core with him right off the bat. Well, it's it's the it's the mentality and the precedent we've set. Mm-hmm. You can it's it's a lot more. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not. I have a wife. I have a. I have a daughter that I care very much for. Mm-hmm. And do I? I don't condone it. But also, back to something Eric said. Everybody's got a phone. Everybody, mm-hmm. and everybody, and we're more. We're a voyeuristic society now. Everybody wants to know. It wants to share their life with everybody else and wants to become internet famous. We've glorified people on YouTube and too, so much that they're more influential than our athletes. Like Charles Barkley said in a famous commercial that everybody hates, he's not a role model. He's an athlete. Mm-hmm. Well, he right. we took, we've taken people that are doing something like eating Tide Pods and made them famous. 
Mm-hmm. We have we have a society where a female made a sex tape and is one of the most influential people in America right now. Hi, Kim Kardashian. The day that ESPN on a platform was able to charge people to watch two YouTubers fight each other and made a significant chunk of money off of that. I'm just going to throw that out there. Mm -hmm. This is our society now. I am not a big fan. Nope. I don't, like, I get the whole gamer thing. I get the whole esports thing. I understand where that all, that's all coming from, and I understand the appeal to certain people here. But this is a de- this has definitely become more of a what-can-you-do-for-me-now society and maybe even so much of a what-can-I-do-for-myself-now society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, right. that's the thing. Is that could, na- Brent, uh, sorry to cut you off, Brandon, okay. but we do need to move yeah. on. We have a bunch of shows still to get to. This is a topic that we could definitely touch on another time for another show. Easily. Yep. Oh, yeah. Just because we have, we still have playoff predictions to make. We still have a bunch of other things to get to on this episode. Yep. I'm going to close this up on So That Happened with a much lighter story. Although, if you're Ugga the dog, maybe not so much to you. Oh, God. (laughs) Poor doggy. Before Texas put a beating on Georgia on the football field, their bull mascot almost put a beating on the Georgia mascot on the sideline. Okay, first of all, whose dumb freaking idea was it to let those two animals anywhere near each other, knowing that something like this could have happened? And, and who the hell was the uh, the guy that was supposed to be holding on to uh, the bull? Even better. A longhorn steer of that size by yourself? Even better. Whose idea was it to take a bulldog in a bright red sweater and put it in front of a bull? <laughs> oh, God. Good point. I, I didn't even put that together. Yeah, wow. neither did I until just now. Well done. <laughs> well played, Jason. All the more reason, though, that, yeah, like it's cool that these teams have live mascots and stuff, but maybe not such a great idea. Like, I'm, waiting, see, I'm waiting for that that special of when mascots go uh, to, when mascots go wild and uh, the hasn't, buffalo trample somebody. Besides, hasn't Georgia gone through like eight Uggas already? Yeah, I think seven. I, I want to say seven or eight. Yeah, something I, like that. I think this is Ugga the eighth, and yeah. then I believe this is Evo fifteen, but still. Yeah, well, every time Texas loses a game, they get a new steer because the old one becomes a stake somewhere. <laughs> uh, just real quick to touch on this here in regards to the live mascot thing. There is a reason that Florida has an anamorphic gator. There is a reason that Clemson has an anamorphic tiger. Because it would be fucking stupid to have these mascots on the sideline. It's well, it to be fair, there is one team, especially for Florida, but incredibly stupid. There, there is to be fair, there is one Tiger team who at least used to have a live mascot, and it would be stupid to have a live tiger on the sideline. Didn't they used to have one? Yeah, that's what I'm referencing. Uh, uh, 
Even yeah. the, well, I mean, if Penn State ever had one, it'd probably touch you inappropriately in the shower. <laughs> All right. Let's on that note. Let's move on, shall we? Let's. All right. So now we move into our discussion for the. Yeah, I, I was at a loss for words for a few seconds there. Now we move into our discussion for Wild Card Weekend. Here it is time for. Uh, so, so we're not gonna we're not gonna do our other segment. We're um, just this is by yourself, and this is where by yourself would be, and then we're going to go into pour one out for the homers next. Well, I mean, we we ain't going to we're we're going to we're going to totally skip get it together. That's, That's at the end. Oh, Jason, you you've been here long enough. You should know that. You act like I stay awake for these shows. <laughs> That's fair. Get it together goes before. Are you serious? We'll get. We'll apparently the person that needs to get it together right now is Jason. <laughs> that that may be my answer th- this week. <laughs> no, yes, I, hold on, hold on. Out of all the times you've tried to steal everybody else's studs or duds, you going to tell, put me? I mean, and the fact that I think in eighteen weeks you've been on time four. But hey, hey. Besides, besides, this is he's still better than the chair. Okay, <laughs> come on now. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Eric, you were lamenting the fact that ESPN got a wild card weekend game. We'll talk about this more a little bit later. Dun, dun, mm-hmm. dun. Dramatic reverb. But let's talk about that wild card weekend game, which is also being simulcasted on ABC when the Houston Texans host the Indianapolis Colts. Let's, we're not going to make our predictions for these games yet because we're going to predict all four of these games against the spread a little bit later on in Are You Serious? However, I want to get your thoughts on who you think could be the biggest player for both teams in this game here, and we'll start with the Houston Texans. Eric? Uh, Personally, and and I know it's going to be a little bit cliche, well, half cliche, I'm not entirely going for Deshaun Watson, but I'm going for, as a collective unit, the five guys in front of him, his offensive line. He's been a little bit beaten and roughed up this season, taking a lot of hits. And while the Colts did just have a big performance against these Texans a few weeks ago, they're going to be primed to do that again because they're really going to make defensive adjustments and really step up their pass rush now that it's the playoffs. If the line can get it together, give Deshaun Watson time in the pocket to throw to guys like DeAndre Hopkins, etc., that could really, at the very least, change momentum and stem the tide. But if that if they're scattered and they're leaving gaping holes for pass rushers to come through, it's gonna be ugly early. Brandon. Um for just overall or for both teams? Houston first. We'll do Indianapolis the next okay. three because we're for for, we're a, for all things in order to yeah. keep us from giving predictions on the game itself. For for Houston, yes, I know uh, Eric mentioned the offensive line, and I agree with him. But everything goes through Deshaun Watson with Houston, and not only that, this is his first playoff game of his career since he was injured last year at the end of the year. 
So this is going to be a big test for him, and he is definitely the player to watch in this game. Jason? For Houston, I'm going to say Lamar Miller. You're Ninja. going to have to be you're going to have to be able to control the ball, keep the ball out of Andrew Luck's hands, and move the chains. You control the clock. You control the the tempo of the game. It's going to be a nice way to um, win. you got to win that time of possession if you plan to uh, knock Indianapolis out of the playoffs. I'm actually going to go on to the other side of the ball here. I think the biggest player for Houston in this game has to be J.J. Watt. Mm-hmm. And the reason I yeah. say that is because Watt is on this candidacy for his comeback player of the year here. Watt is on this candidacy for the uh, defensive player of the year as well. This is an opportunity for Watt to make that statement that he is not only back, he's back and better than ever as the best defensive lineman in football. He has an opportunity to shut down a quarterback who for the second half of the season has been arguably the best quarterback in the NFL in Andrew Luck and an opportunity to shut down an, a running game in Indianapolis who, despite having a couple of players that you would not think anything of in uh, Dorsett and um, Marlon Mack, the opportunity to shut them down as well and keep uh, the, the Houston off or the Indianapolis offense out of the end zone. What about Indianapolis? Eric, who do you got from that side of the ball? I was actually, yeah, and I was actually, you touched on it. I'm going to say Marlon Mack because Andrew Luck, as I predicted at the beginning of the season, caught some flack for it. I said he was going to be back and with a vengeance. Lo and behold, what's happened, especially over the last couple of months? If. Mac, especially at running back, can, not just in the red zone, but overall, help keep Houston's defense honest. That way, that's fame, now famous offensive line of the Colts. They can give luck time. They can let him do damage. Now that more guys have learned, hey, running out of bounds or sliding and giving ourselves up after big plays is a good idea. So if he can help with the big performance and keep that offense balanced, that's going to go a long way. Brandon. Um, is T.Y. Hilton, is he going to be playing in this game? I don't think there's anything that's going to stop Hilton from playing. Okay. Well, I think he's going to be the key because based on how healthy he is and how, you know, how uh maneuverable and how productive he is able to be with his injury that is going to be a big key for this Indianapolis offense because if he is not I mean obviously he's not going to be at 100% but if he is basically out there just as a decoy that's going to make a big difference for this offense and it's going to hurt it a lot Thank you for at least thinking and researching that, not pulling a Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> Why? What do you say? Oh, I'd really rather not give credibility to anything that hack has to say. Spencer Ware, even though he's injured. Hunter Henry, even though he was injured. 
and is just now coming back. Yet they're players to watch. Jason, who you got for Indianapolis? Uh, I'm going to build on what Brandon had to say. Uh, T.Y. Hilton's last seven games in Houston is 41 receptions, 933 yards, seven touchdowns. I mean, to the point where it is T.Y. Hilton has called Houston his second home. Um, And he's catching a lot of flack, and Houston's making it uh, billboard material and stuff and locker room motivation. But T.Y. Hilton is a beast against this Houston team. I don't know what gets him up and what is so special about playing in Houston, but those are some unreal numbers in seven games. Uh, that's averaging six six catches a game for over a hundred and let's see, a hundred and seventy yards on a touchdown a game. So on a hundred and seventy yards on six catches on a touchdown average, that is insane. Wait a minute. You said he had 933 yards in the last seven games? Yep. Uh, that's... 130. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> 130. Still, I mean, still 130 yards a game and a touchdown averaged. No, I... This, I, year, I, this, I, year, I, this year alone, he has nine catches in Houston. He has nine catches for 200 yards. Insane, and he doesn't even have to walk out wearing his opponent's colors to do it before <laughs> the game either. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Ty is. I I say he's probably. If you would name, if you would just name off your top five receivers in the NFL right now, Ty's name wouldn't be mentioned. But if you went to the stat lines, you'd see him probably around the. Five, six more. Would, would you agree that he is probably the most underrated wide receiver in the oh, NFL right now? I, I think it's a toss-up, in all honesty, because Keenan Allen doesn't get the love that he deserves. That's true. Uh, I think him and Keenan Allen are probably two of the best wide receivers that nobody gives the credit to. Mm-hmm. I would also give credit to uh, Minnesota's Adam Thalen in mm-hmm. that discussion as well. Well, he's got more credit last year after the whole miracle in Minnesota thing. Well, well not to step on Diggs. Oh, yeah. wait, you're right. You're right. <laughs> no, Fair he, enough. Elon's credit came from his hot start with consecutive 100 yard games this season, if I remember right, correctly. Um, yeah. He's a more of a possession receiver that is sneaky. He's like mm-hmm. your, uh, your Wes Welker pro. Mm-hmm. He'll get you a lot of balls that total a lot of yards. And I'm not going to say that he can't break one if he needs to. But he's got, Thielen got, has great body control and amazing hands. All right, let's go ahead and give you guys my prediction here. I, I went on the defensive side for Houston. I'm going to stay on the offensive side for Indianapolis, but just barely. And by that, I mean I'm going with a special teams player. It's Captain Clutch himself, Adam Vinatieri. Fair enough. I have, I have a very distinct feeling that this game could come down to be a very close final score, 
And it would not surprise me to see Vinatieri have a kick to win this game in Houston at the end of the game. If there is one person in the NFL right now who I would trust more than anybody else with a game-winning kick on the line, mm-hmm. it would be Adam Vinatieri. Oh, yeah. Captain uh, Greybeard with a mega foot. <laughs> I want to say that we're also going to give an honorable mention to, to um, the secret sponsor of the, the podcast uh, and former Mountaineer and who also retired as a uh, Indianapolis Colt, Mr. Pat McAfee. Okay, Jason's kind of kidding around here. My honorary mention, though, goes to Darius Leonard, linebacker for Indianapolis. That, yeah. And all, that kid is unreal. And I all, did not know how talented he, he was until I actually watched a game. Well, I've had him on my fantasy team all year, so I've known how good he's been, and he is definitely – he should be – if not the def- just the defensive rookie of the year, he should be the rookie of the year entirely, even over Saquon, I think. I'm going to disagree because of the numbers that Saquon and Baker have put up, but he's definitely your defensive rookie of the year. And in the list that, and I hate to give the guy credit for posting it, Robert Taylor put in our, fo- in our football group chat here, Darius Leonard is a all-pro in his rookie season at Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. As he I don't be. think he posted that. I think someone else did. I thought Robert posted it, but it may have been Sean. No, it, it was. You, you no, know it's not Robert. If it doesn't involve Patrick Jeez. Mahomes, Robert doesn't post it. Mahomes was exactly. listed as all That's why Sean did post it because Mahomes was named as an All Pro. All right, let's let's go to the next game here. It is the Sun. It is the Saturday night game on NBC. We have the Seattle Seahawks at the Dallas Cowboys. We have to be a little quicker about these going forward just because there are six teams to get through still. Let's go ahead and hit it for Seattle, Eric. You start us off. Zeke. He read Ezekiel Elliott. He needs a big game. He said Seattle. Hmm? Uh, Seattle, the road team first. Oh, my mistake. <laughs> oh. Ooh. Really, Russell Wilson, if he can keep everything going, kind of control this offense as he has been the past few weeks, yeah, it it could make things a little bit dangerous, especially in the red zone. Brandon? Yeah, I have to agree with Eric. Russell Wilson is the catalyst of this offense. Everything goes through him. He's going to be the key. Jason. David Moore. Care to expand? Don't ever doubt me. When I bring up a wide receiver that with big playability, uh, a la Aguilar in the Super Bowl last year, never doubt me when I say something. You're going to have you're you're going to have a lot of people keying on Baldwin and Lockett. David Moore has big play potential can stretch the field. I say that he he surpasses 75 yards and a touchdown is only mm, foreshadowing. <laughs> leading leading Seattle in receiving with 75 yards and a touchdown. Um, I'm actually going to kind of take a page from Eric's playbook here. I'm going to pick the Seattle defensive line. I think that if Seattle can disrupt Dak Prescott, 
and prove that Prescott is not a clutch performer because his entire career has told us he is not a clutch performer, then, well, let's just say you'll find out the rest of that sentence a little bit later on in the show. What about for Dallas, Eric? Who you got? Well, I mentioned him earlier. Zeke. This is not a Dak Prescott one offense. It is up to Zeke to have the ball and to ball out, especially against a stout Seattle defense. So that way, Dak can find his receivers. While he's manageable without a strong running game, let's admit a stronger running game helps him out in making plays. Brandon. I'm trying to remember, is this uh, Dak's, for, well, and Zeke for that matter, is this their first playoff appearance, or were they Second. one? Okay. Second, I believe they were in in Zeke's rookie season. And they yeah. lost in the first round, I'm, I think I remember of, correctly. Of course they lost in the first correct. round. So, yeah, they lost in the divisional yes. round after yeah. like 13-3 and three season. Yeah. So, I definitely have to go with Dak here. Because this, while yes, he's still young, this is going to be a big year of saying, is he for real? Can he actually win playoff games? Or he, or is he just Tony Romo 2.0? I think the issue with comparing him to Romo is going to be a case of, I don't think he's in Romo's class as a quarterback. No, I agree with that on a purely stat-based level. What I mean by that is, while he hasn't been as good in the regular season, he has, this is the second time that he's led them to the playoffs, but if then he proceeds to crap the bed in the playoffs, then it's the same difference where he can win when it doesn't really matter, but when it does matter, he falls off. Fair enough. Jason, who you got? Uh, Amari Cooper. I think that he has to have a big game in order to relieve Zeke so he's not facing eight men front. Um, outside of that, I think I think you can say what you want about Dak, but Dak can be mediocre. It's going to be yards after catch with Cooper that decide Dallas's fate. I'm going to agree that I think it'll be a receiver, but I don't think it'll be a wide receiver. I think it'll be the tight end, and specifically a name that I know you Giants fans don't want to hear right now, that being Blake Jarwin. After coming out of absolutely nowhere last week to have three touchdown receptions leading Dallas to their come-from-behind victory over the Giants, I think that Jarwin is going to have to have a similar performance getting through the Seattle linebacking core and into the secondary in order to give Prescott any kind of time and any kind of room for Ezekiel Elliott from the line of scrimmage here. Jarwin's going to be the catalyst for the Dallas offense, in my opinion, much the same way he was in the game against the Giants this past Sunday. We move over to the Sunday games, and the first of the two Sunday games is CBS as Baltimore hosts the Chargers. Eric, we start with the Chargers here since they are the road team for this game. It is... It's a weird situation where a road wildcard team has a better record than a home wildcard team, but these teams did just face each other two weeks ago. Who you got, Eric? This is true, and the reason why that road wildcard team has the better record, a bit of a tougher division. And personally, 
I'm going to go not so much with the defensive line anchored by Joey Bosa. I'm going to go with the linebackers. Baltimore, especially since Lamar Jackson has come in as the starter, they've run this old school kind of, a lot of people have compared it to the wing T, and you really haven't faced that since plays like when the Wildcat came out or when Joe Gibbs in his second stint in Washington. This was a kind of offense, heavy, heavy, ground and pound, ground and pound, occasional throw style of offense. Now, given the fact that these two teams have just faced each other, can that linebacking core help anchor that front seven, make the adjustments that they couldn't to help contain that run game? If they can, hey, you would give Phillip Rivers another shot, a couple extra possessions, and see what happens. Uh, real quick about this game, Eric, something that you mentioned earlier, Hunter Henry is out. For the Chargers, yeah, there were talk. There were talks about him possibly coming back from trying to activate him. I guess that didn't work. Brandon, who do you have? Um, I, I'm going to be going very cliche on these two, but um, especially considering his past, and especially considering you know this may be one of his last hurrahs. I have to go with Phillip Rivers. Um, You know, he's been a great quarterback in the regular season, and he has a lot of accolades and everything, but when it's come down to it, he hasn't really done much of anything in the the postseason. So this is one of his possibly last opportunities to make a run to the Super Bowl and, and really show what he's worth. Jason? Um, I'm going to go with a gentleman I spoke of earlier, and it's going to be Keenan Allen. Okay. I well, think I'm, that... I'm trying to get through <laughs> without expounding on too much stuff. Okay, that's fair enough. Just because we're running long on this segment, I, I, after I started, I realized that we were going to run a little long here, but I feel like this is something important to touch on. I'm actually going to go with Melvin Gordon. Uh, Gordon's had the opportunity to rest over the last couple of weeks. I know he sat out for sure week 17, and I'm pretty sure he didn't play week 16 either. With Austin Eckler still out of this game, I listed as questionable as well. I think that the main gravitas of the running back position for the Chargers in order to break through that stout Baltimore defensive line is going to fall on Melvin Gordon. And to also help with the blocking game in order to keep some of that pressure off of Philip Rivers so that Father Time doesn't betray Philip Rivers at the least opportune time possible. Let's move over to the other side of the ball here in the Baltimore Ravens. Eric? Lamar Jackson, first playoff game, has had a great rookie season coming in, doing what was expected of him and then some. Can he make his runs count? Can he continue to progress throwing the ball? He can. That could not only work wonders for him, but send Joe Flacco out of town and hopefully not down here to Jacksonville. (laughs) Brandon. Yeah, I have to agree with Eric there. Um, Definitely Lamar Jackson, but I'm going to put a little twist on it as well. Um, especially considering the history, 
Now, granted, this isn't the same Joe Flacco that we saw back when they won the Super Bowl. But, with his past in the playoffs, does Lamar Jackson have a shorter leash? Or do they completely trust him and will keep him out there no matter what? Um, I think the the whole quarterback situation is going to be the most interesting storyline going into this game for the Baltimore Ravens. Jason. I'm going to go with Gus Edwards. I think uh, they're going to have to pound the ball where that defense down, where there's linebackers down. And Edwards um, is came on and proven that he is a power back. Uh, him and Dixon kind of remind me of the old ground to pound of um, Brandon Jacobs and Bradshaw in New York. I think that that's what it's going to take. You're going to have to have a good control, good controlled ground game, um, and just use use the home field and the clock to your advantage. Baltimore almost lost to Cleveland on Sunday, and if anybody actually watched that game and they disagree with me, then they're lying to you. Well, Baltimore should have lost that game because of the the play that they called dead. Oh, yeah. The reason that Baltimore held on at the end of the game is because of how well their secondary stepped up. It will be the Baltimore defensive backs, both cornerbacks and safety, that play the biggest role in this game and their ability to stop people like Keenan Allen, like Melvin Gordon, and especially their ability to zone in on Phillip Rivers and make Rivers make the same mistakes that Baker Mayfield did against the Ravens secondary as well. We move to the finale of the four wild card games here. It is Philadelphia, the defending champions at the Chicago Bears. Eric, we start with the Eagles. Whoa. One wide receiver that came in was supposed to be kind of that spark in their offense, but it hasn't entirely come to pass. But I'm thinking now could be the time. Golden Tate. Yes, you have Jeffrey Aguilar, Zach Ertz, but Nick Foles, is it the same guy that Carson Wentz is? He goes out and he targets his players differently. And I think that if Golden Tate can put himself into the mix, have a big game and have a be another threat for that Bears defense to try to clamp down on and think about, that could cause problems. Brandon. Um, the the big the big key guy to watch is Nick Foles. Can he do it again? Can he lead this team once again after Carson Wentz goes down with an injury? Can he once again lead this team to glory? Jason. I'm going to go with Aguilar. He can't, he's going to have to step up, take some pressure off, and be the receiver to so false can throw to. They're going to key on Ertz. They're going to key on Jeffrey. Tate is, I don't know, he's just not meshed well within that offense. So it's going to fall on Aguilar's shoulders. 
I'm going to agree with Brandon on this one. I'm going to go with Nick Foles. I think that Philadelphia needs that big dick Nick magic from last season in order to get back to where they got last year. Mm-hmm. I think that if there is any potential of a repeat performance of the Eagles in Super Bowl 53 on CBS on February 2nd, then Foles has to have a similar, if not better, postseason than he did last year because this time people will be expecting these kind of performances from him and there will be much greater pressure on him than there was last year even when they had home field advantage Mm -hmm. isn't the game on the third uh you might be right i i know it's that weekend i think it might be the third i think you're correct i think let's move over let's move over to the other side of the football here with the chicago bears eric khalil mack for everything that he did with the Raiders, with everything that he's done in the regular season, since he's come to Chicago and signed that big deal, everybody's talking about that Bears defense. Everybody is saying, oh, will this, this, and that, starting to make some comparisons to that 85 Bears defense. It's going to be on him. Can he track down Nick Foles, get Trubisky in that offense, the ball, so they can do enough to win the game. If he can, it's possible. If not, uh-oh. Brandon? I'm going to expand upon that and say the entire front seven. Because if if Mac is trying to do all the work and the rest of the front seven aren't picking up the slack, then that offensive line is just going to double or triple team Mac, and they won't have any problems. Um... I will also give a little honorable mention to Mitchell Trubisky because while he hasn't been the most outstanding quarterback of the league this year, he's been way better than a lot of us expected him to be at the beginning of the season. Can he continue that trend into the playoffs or will he finally show what we all thought he was going to do at the beginning of the season now? Well, I'll be the first person to say I had the Bears finishing third in this division mm-hmm. at the start of the I think I might have had, even had them finishing fourth. I'm not sure. Either third or I had fourth, them, I don't know that much. I had them ahead of Detroit just because it's a dumpster fire in Detroit these days. But even after the addition of Khalil Mack for the team, I didn't think they had enough to overtake the Packers or the Vikings. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I, I think I had them – I might have had them second or third. Definitely not first. Who do you have as the standout performer for the Bears this weekend, Jason? I'm going to go with Anthony Miller. I just—he's uh, coming back. He's—he said he hasn't been 100% off season. Um, I think they're going to key on Cohen coming out of the backfield. Howard's going to have a tough time running the ball. Trubisky can't be trusted. But Anthony Miller on an underneath route, I'll take that and I'll move the chains with it. So I think that he's going to have to step up, make some plays, and if so, that's going to be the difference maker. Am I the only one that's like low key rooting for a freak weather event so we get another fog bowl with this one? I don't I'm hoping think it for a freak weather event and the stadium blows up and then they have to figure out what to do with the winter. Um, I, I believe that would work out that the, the uh, Saints get a bye. <laughs> they get two byes? Yep. 
So they'd be like, bye-bye, and then if they get one more bye, it'd be bye-bye-bye. So what you're saying is the Saints offense is really in sync. <laughs> exactly. Thank Saints offense need to be in sync so they can get bye-bye-bye. Right, well, 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 while these boys are taking it down the back street, uh, let's find another way to get on track. <laughs> All right. Uh, the last person well, to go. For well, as long as it's not 98 degrees there, we're good. <laughs> could be worse. The games could be in O-Town. Anyway, um, my pick for this game is going to be Jordan Howard. I think that Chicago is going to have to control the ball to keep it away from the Eagles. I think that Chicago is going to need to have Mitch Trubisky do as little as necessary to win this game. And in order to do that, Jordan Howard has to have a huge game on the ground for the Bears. Well, Trubisky's the new kid on the block, so I can understand that they rely on Jordan Howard. (laughs) I think we've worked in pretty much every single major boy brand from the 90s. Pretty much. I'm proud of I'm proud of Well done. Look, they're coming. They're going. A lot of these guys are going into this game, boys. But in the end, you got to turn into men on this <laughs> but, I mean, they are going Motown Philly back again. <laughs> the question is who's, who ends up on bended knee and defeat at the end of it. We'll talk well, about I mean, that a I little mean, bit later on. I mean, this is, nope. this is a new addition. Oh, okay, we're done. Uh, let's move on before this goes any further off the charts than it can here. Hey, off the Funny. All right, well, anyway. at least 40. Eric's we got a nice here. billboard up here. That's kind of a bitch. Eric, get it together. Yeah, I, I had to. You put me out. Now, we mentioned this earlier. There's four wild card games coming up this weekend. CBS, NBC, Fox. They, they all pretty much get their pick of the litter. But uh, to the NFL, I get that ESPN paid you a lot of money for the right to talk about and cover your league and do everything. I get that. You've gotten a little bit lucky with some of the games you're giving them on Monday Night Football the past couple of years. It's starting to tick up a teeny bit. But why is it that every year I can easily call out either the worst or the least sexy of the four games right when they release all the matchups and say, oh, that's going to be the one on ESPN? Even when I knew the Colts and the Texans were going to be playing, I said right out, that's going to be the ESPN game. For the Shield. Get it together. You either hate the network and you want to take their money, or you like the network because of their money, and you need to start giving them some better matchups. Go on now. Well, I mean, to be fair, that, I mean, I think it's kind of a little bit of both, where they like their money, but, you know, because it's not one of the big networks, yes, it gets simulcasted onto ABC, but, you know, it's not you know, the main networks that they show the main games on, um, that's why they give them the least important of the divisional games. Hey, at least they're not sticking it on NFL Network or anything. Yeah, I would, make, I would make the argument that having it on ESPN and simulcast on ABC actually helps the yes. league because it's in those extra viewers 
that may have something going on on their ABC affiliates in their local markets at that time that would be able to watch the game on ESPN. Mm-hmm. There's the whole cable aspect of it, and not everybody in the in the United States has cable, and that makes complete sense for them to simulcast the game over to ABC as well for that side of it. But also, um, ABC's content is uh, traditionally done on a network-by-network, affiliate-by-affiliate basis due to the fact that a lot of the mom-and-pop organizations that own these TV stations can decide whether or not they feel that there's something more important, such as local weather alerts and stuff, that need to be aired over a football game. Whereas ESPN, you wouldn't have that kind of issue with. Mm-hmm. Well, Don't even get me started on that, by the way. why simulcast is because when ESPN, since they're all under the Disney umbrella, ABC said, we're going to get rid of our sports department altogether. We're just handing that off to ESPN. That's another reason why this happened. Mm-hmm. I do miss. I, I will say I do miss the wide world of sports, though. Oh, Let's yes. Move on here, Brandon. Get it together. Um. Well, like I said, my my get it together this week. For, first off, is Jason. Jason, get it together. But um, no, I I mentioned them earlier. Um, but the the Vikings get it together. Um. You know, you you looked so promising going into the season, and again, and and you were in a weakened NFC North, where you know the Packers weren't nearly as good as everyone anticipated them to be. Yes, the Bears have been a huge surprise on the positive side, but I would have thought, especially against a relatively weak NFC North that they would have at least made the playoffs this season, and they crapped the bet at the end of the season. Um, yeah, so Minnesota going into next season, get it together. Jason? Well, I'm going to start out with my honorable mention to Kenny Chesney and Andy Griffin for their special song dedicated to the kickoff in regards to Brandon Biscoe waiting on a woman. But my... Um, Mike, get it together is the Pittsburgh Steelers front office and head coach, Mike Tomlin. Um, Art Rooney II uh, has no respect from his team, his employees, or anything. Mike Tomlin, he doesn't even know what's going on with his own team. He's claiming that they're going to deal with the A-B situation in-house, that A-B never claimed to be traded. Everybody else is saying that you know, they know for a fact he said he wanted to be traded. And it comes down to the fact that if you bring A.B. back next year, Tomlin's gone. If you bring Tomlin back next year, you lose one of the best wide receivers in the league. So, Pittsburgh, you need to get it together. Quit being a distraction. Quit being be, – be the franchise that people respected. Used to respect, and the only thing we hated was the fans that were so obnoxious and wanted to talk about how many championships they won in the 70s. I, I will say, to Pittsburgh's credit, though, for and while to their credit, too, they didn't make it a, dis- a distraction throughout the season, but for all of the off-field distractions that they've had throughout this season, one in particular, whose name I will not mention because for personal Maybe reasons, I'll fail. shut up. 
He is barred from this show from now on. Um, <laughs> I yeah. wish you told me you took him third overall in a fantasy football draft. Yes. Shut up. Um, yeah, for all of that, the fact that they almost made the playoffs this year is actually pretty, uh, is actually pretty impressive considering most teams, if they had to deal with the shit show that in, that was, uh, their season off the field, they would have completely crumbled. My get it together is going to be for players who don't play in their bowl games for their college teams. And the reason I'm going to say this here is because uh, we accidentally skipped pour one out for the homers. We'll come back to that as soon as we're done with get it together. Somebody had me wanting to get to this segment in order to help get that, get it off of their chest. So you're welcome for that, Jason. But anyway, um, hey, I'm like a, I'm like a, a, a girl before puberty. I ain't got much to get off my chest. <sighs> anyway, that's what I was about to say here. Uh, there were several noticeable instances here. The West Virginia-Syracuse game, which we'll talk about a little bit in a few seconds here. The Florida-Michigan game, which we'll talk about a little bit in a few seconds here. And several other bowl games as well, where players sitting out were the defining roles in what did and didn't happen in those bowl games. I can next to guarantee you that if Will Greer plays against Syracuse, it is a much different West Virginia team than the West Virginia team that showed up against Syracuse in the Camping World game. If Michigan has their starting running back, well, their starting star defensive lineman, and one of their starting star defensive linebackers, it's probably a much different game than what played out in the Peach Bowl. I understand that you're looking at making an absolute fuck ton of money in the NFL draft. I get that. But at the same time, what you're doing is you're telling the men, not the boys, but the men, that were your teammates while you were at the university that helped you get the recognition that allowed you to be a high pick in the NFL draft. You're telling them that what happens to them doesn't matter to you as long as you get paid. And that's complete and utter shit. There, there's one way, uh, there's one very simple way to fix this problem. Make the balls matter and create Ex the playoff system. Exactly. Why do they sit out? Because these don't, these games don't mean shit. It, it I, I know it, I, now, correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't actually, and, and this at least to the level that it's been, has been a fairly recent phenomenon. So I haven't been as in touch with college basketball as I was in the past. But I'm sure this type of thing happens with some of the big-time programs who make it to the NIT instead of the NCAA tournament, where the big-time guys, now granted, because of the way that the NCAA tournament is and how big it is, most teams that have top-notch uh, prospects for the NBA aren't making it to the NIT. But if they were to, I'm, I can almost guarantee you that said players who are going to be top-notch picks in the NBA draft are not going to play in those games because, for all intents and purposes, they do not matter. But in the NCAA tournament, because it actually does matter, they do play. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. They play, and then the minute that team is eliminated, they're like, oh, I'm declaring for the draft. Bye-bye. Exactly. Exactly. I get that football is a much riskier sport than basketball is, but at the same time, it is what it is here. In college basketball, 
they're about the team effort in order to get somewhere. In college football, they're about the individual, and I think that that's no. It's the other way around. I'm I'm gonna point this out, and you know I'm gonna speak from this is gonna tie into my poor one out for the homers a little bit, Uh, which because there's a more important thing that I need to talk about on that, so I want to preface this here. Um, in the case of Will Greer, he held a team meeting because he was a leader. And he gave Allison the support to step in and play the game, giving him first-team reps that he would not get until spring. It gave the fans and coaches alike a chance to see the heir apparent to Will Greer, who was probably one of the best quarterbacks in West Virginia history. I'll say that. I love Will Greer. I thought he was a, a great player for us. But he has a family to take care of. I understand that. And I take it as an unselfish decision to give a kid who has very few, if any, career starts a chance to get out, get gameplay experience with some of the players that he's going to be leading the following season and give, at that time, the coaching staff a glimpse of what the future holds. I actually completely agree with Jason right there. He made me think of something very important, especially for these programs who do have a conceivable conceivable chance of making it to the quote-unquote playoffs. This is actually a good thing for the team as a whole because instead of, you know, yes, you may want to play your last game, yes, whatever, Instead of playing in a meaningless game where you could potentially get injured and and lose your chance of moving on into the pros where it really does matter, you're actually helping your team by giving your heir apparent an extra, basically an extra exhibition game as a precursor to what your fans and your team will see next year as a little, you know, as a little preparation for the next season, and that may even get them started on the right track earlier than you would have otherwise. I still think that it's doing a disservice to his current teammates, and especially the seniors on his team that will be playing their last games. I think that they're ask ask Jake about how he feels about playing in a meaningless bowl game. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. I, I won't say that stuff like that doesn't happen because it does, but there are other people who were playing in their last games, and to go out with a loss the way that West Virginia lost to Syracuse or the way that Michigan lost to Florida, I think that that would sit something with something serious with them going forward as well. Not to the extent of what happened to Jake Butt, obviously, but still to those seniors that have this kind of a last game, that's it, definitely not something that sits well in the psyche. Let's uh, rewind a little bit here. This is a segment that we usually do before Get It Together, but tonight we'll do it after. Let's pour one out for the homers. NFL and college football finale edition. There will be no pour it out for the homers going forward on this show, at least not for this season, just because all six of our teams, seven, technically Giants twice for Brandon and Jason, but all seven of our teams this season have come to a conclusion. Jason... The biggest thing to discuss for you isn't anything with your team, it's with your coach, or specifically your lack thereof now at Houston, Dana Holgerson. 
why the hell does Dana Holgerson leave West Virginia for a group of six or a group of five, whatever you want to rate them? Why does uh, Dana right. Holgerson West Virginia for Houston? I'm I'm going to take this opportunity to say I was very uh, I disagreed with a lot of things that Holgerson done. He didn't live up to expectations, but I'm so happy that we had him as a head coach. A lot of people wrote him. Uh, yes, he did underperform, but also he did a lot of good for the for the state of West Virginia and the University of West Virginia. With that being said, uh, they was at an impasse. He was not going to be given an extension. He was, though his pay was increasing, he did not see, he seen, seen the writing on the walls that West Virginia was not happy. The AD was not happy. President was not happy with his performance as a coach. Therefore, he knew that there was no long-term contract that was going to be given. On the other hand, he already owns a home in Houston. Houston is one of the top uh, five programs outside the Power Five because if you go back and listen to the preseason show, I actually picked them to be be the dark horse of this season. Um, there's a lot of talent. He can recruit a lot better athletes in Texas to go to a Texas school. Then you can recruit athletes to come to Morgantown, West Virginia. With that being said, he's making the same amount of money with lower expectations, better recruiting environment, and, you know, he has ties to Houston. Um, I respect the way he did go out. He didn't pull a Rich Rodriguez on us and disappear in the, uh, and cost us a chance to go to the national championship and disappear in the middle of the night. With that being said, it has been made official. Neil Brown will be accepting the head coaching position at West Virginia going forward. I I have an interesting, and with how Jason described it, I'm assuming it probably isn't the case, but this made me think of something. I wonder if uh, he knows something that we don't, and perhaps Houston makes a jump. Uh, yeah, there's. I mean, there's talk that Houston's Houston's going to make the jump and actually become a Big Twelve school. Mm-hmm. Because it would actually well, the, it would make a lot more sense than West Virginia. That's for sure. The the two schools that are rumored for the Big Twelve to become the Big Twelve again are Houston and Boise State. Houston makes sense. Boise, not so much. But I'd say Houston and SMU. <laughs> Well, Boise State mainly for the football profile, but I do agree. Houston and SMU would be more sense because, remember, the Big 12, a lot of those roots are in the Southwest Conference. And then you have West Virginia, who's on the East Coast. Yeah, well, everybody's got to have a moneymaker somewhere, right? Everyone's got to have that one outlier. Over the next few years, once the TV contracts end, it's going to be realigned anyways, so it's all temporary. Ah, let's hope. I really hope you're right, Eric. Speaking of teams with new coaches, Eric, goodbye, Mark Rick. Hello, Manny Diaz in Coral Gables. I mean, the Mark Rick news blindsided me. Sure, we had a couple bum-ass quarterbacks. 
But when he was initially hired, I would said that first season was a total pass. If by the end of 2017, I look at the team and say, by time 2019 rolls around, we can be contenders for some sort of championship, it would be a great hire. Now, granted, the 2018 season did not work out whatsoever. That was just a loss. But building the way he did, getting us to the ACC title game, getting us to major bowl games, there was a significant uptrend. So when I heard that he was retiring, I was very sad. In comes Manny Diaz. Temple fans and all around the Philadelphia area hate him. I can see why. But at the end, if anybody is even going to continue this uptrend and hopefully be the first coach in Miami history to stay longer than six years, he could be the guy. The first thing to do, get the offensive staff right, then continue your recruiting and everything else. Those you're starting to lock down again. The state of Miami is coming back. Fantastic. But the offense needs to be fixed first. Defensively, under control, but if he doesn't get that right, I'm going to be nervous. The problem with that is that he's a known defensive coach. He was the one responsible for the rebound of your defensive team before he left for Temple. This is why I am nervous, and I'm saying I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt defensive-wise, but he's got a shot offensively with some of the talent that we have, even with Nkosi Perry, hopefully at quarterback. He's really got to get the right hires. At this point, I can't say that he can or will. I can't say that he won't or can't. I don't know enough. But just as a fan, this is what I see first and foremost. Well, I can tell you guys, speaking from firsthand experience, that a coach can come in in his first year and completely change the culture of a program. Mm -hmm. It happened in Gainesville this year. His name is Dan Mullen, and the Gator attitude is back. Uh, Nobody nobody expected anything from this Florida team this year. Most of us had us pegged as also Rams in the SEC. Most of us had us pegged at maybe a 500 team this year. In his first season in Gainesville, Dan Mullen proceeds to win 10 games, including a bowl victory and a bowl decimation at that of the University of Michigan, who had bitch-slapped us the last two times we played, and the opportunity to, as Mullen said when he was giving his post-Peach Bowl press conference on the field, have a team that will have the opportunity to start as a preseason top-10 team next season and make a run at a national championship. A, I said about that bowl game, it wasn't in the state of Florida. I like your chances. B, can you even properly Kentucky fry a Nittany Lion? I know you can with the Gator, but I don't know. I I'd ha- I tried digging deep into my recipe book. I found nothing. Uh, technically, it would be KFC still. It would be Kentucky Fried Cougar. Because that's basically True. what a Nittany True. Lion is. True. Okay. But, Makes sense. But, um, yeah, it did not go so well. Things were not happy in Happy Valley after January 1st as – Kentucky defeated the Penn State Nittany Lions 
I still think James Franklin has Penn State trending in the right direction, though. I still think that this is a Penn State team that will rebound next season and has the opportunity to be better next season because the big game that we lost this past year, the Michigan game, the next year will be in Happy Valley. The problem for Penn State next year is that they have to go to the horseshoe with their new coach, uh, Day, I believe is his last name. I want to... Won't be much of a problem, but what I will say, as far as with your Gators, though, if Kentucky can even come close to repeating the success next year, watch out because they can all of a sudden turn around and have a football team. I would make the argument that the SEC East could be wide open next year between three or four different teams. Uh, I think that you could make the argument for Georgia for sure. I think that you can mm-hmm. make the argument. Florida for sure. I mm-hmm. think that you can definitely make the argument for Kentucky based on their performance this season. And mm-hmm. I would not be surprised based on the way we saw them playing towards the end of the season if Tennessee doesn't turn things around in Rocky Top as well. Oh, come on. We all, know, we all know what Tennessee does. Suck. Yeah. At Lane Kiffin. Well, at least the lane train isn't pulling into what into Morgantown. <laughs> Skip. Scale of one to ten, Jason. How scared were you of that actually happening? Oh no! I mean, it wasn't happening. I, I knew the, I knew the three, the two, the two predominant uh, coaches that they wanted to bring in. Lane Lane was nowhere near. I mean, they was talking about Rich Rod coming back before they let the Lane train ever pull into Morgantown. Am I the only one that would have actually encouraged the lane train to go to Coral Gables? I mean, right there? You probably are the only one, Mm -hmm. just so you know. Mm. Yeah, I think we've had our our fill of Lane Kiffin on this show at least for one calendar year. I still still want McAdoo to get a job somewhere. Uh, He's going to be the offensive coordinator in Green Bay. Or he could be offensive line coach in Cleveland. <laughs> if McCarthy lands in Cleveland, which is rumored to happen, I would not be surprised. We'll see what happens with the coaching carousel. And I'm sure we'll talk more about the coaching carousel when we have our conversation about the NFL draft when we do our special edition in April for the kickoff. Let's uh, move over to the NFL side of things here and let's put a eulogy on the season for the New York Giants. Brandon, you go first. Ah. Uh... I honestly don't know what to think about this season. Because on one hand, you know, they they showed some spirit and they, they showed some heart at the end of the season and showed what they can do. And Saquon Barkley had a good season. But like I said earlier on in the season, they went from being, you know, one of the top three picks in the NFL draft and looking like they could get, you know, a, a new franchise quarterback or, or something that could really help their team to now being in the middle of the pack. And, you know, I have a bad feeling that they're just going to be in the same spot again next year. I believe you guys are picking eighth in the upcoming draft. Okay. So not quite middle of the pack, but still. I think it's sixth, actually. If I'm not mistaken, when I looked at it this morning, I think it's six. I'll look at it real quick. Um, 
I got a question, Brandon. I mean, you know, as a, you know, me and you both being Giants fans. Mm-hmm. Knowing what we know now. Okay. Do you go back and still take Barkley at two? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I don't think this year, even with how well some of the quarterbacks have done, I I'm still not sure if any of them are, you know, franchise world beater types. Real quick here, I kind of want to touch in on what what Jason or what Brandon just said there. Um, I think that Josh Allen in Buffalo, and I'll talk about him more in a few seconds here. I think that Josh Allen in Buffalo, Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, Sam Darnold with the Jets, and Lamar Jackson in Baltimore are potential franchise quarterbacks. I said this when he was in college at Penn State. I'll say it again now. Saquon Barkley is a generational player. Mm-hmm. He comes around once in a lifetime. Athletic call quarterbacks coming out of college, while performing as well as these four in the draft have, they can you can find somebody like that on, on nearly a yearly basis. Exactly. Barkley's one, of, Barkley's one of those athletes that you get one opportunity to draft. And frankly, I'm stunned Cleveland didn't take him number one and then pick up a different quarterback at number four instead of getting Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and continue your thought, huh, Jason? What else did you have to say about the Giants season this year? I think um, I think that they need to eliminate a major distraction and get him get his head out of his ass and onto the field. Um, I know a thigh bruise can linger, but I I don't understand why you shut yourself down during the end of the season without a it being the coach's decision and you doing the making the decision personally and not letting the coaches decide if you got shut down for the season or not. Do you think it's possible that Odell just kind of wanted to take the wear and tear off of his body by not participating in the final couple of games? I mean, it's possible, but See, go finish real quick. But what's the difference of you know, we talked about this in the college aspect. What's the difference in that and taking the good lord, what the hell is that? That would be that's Eric. 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 That's Eric. That's Eric's microphone giving him stuff, so we'll only have Eric come on when he has something to say. We'll talk to Eric next year, but go ahead and continue, Jason. Uh, I'm just saying, uh, what's, you know, we talked about the college aspect. Um, you're not going out there knowing that you can play for a team that's paying you millions upon millions of dollars. Why would you let your teammates down that this could, you know, uh, you have a high turnover rate in the NFL, you know, especially with linemen and stuff. You could have somebody that's going to be retiring. Why let them down? Because you don't want to go out there and you want to, you want to heal up. This could be somebody's last hurrah in the NFL, and you chose to shut them down and not send them out on a win. See, I, I'm really hoping you're being sarcastic there, but um, but here's the thing about the whole uh, OBJ thing. I'm I feel like there's one of two things going on here, 
and I'm really hoping it's the first. Either A, like Harry said, he realized that the year was a lost cause at that point. So he said, let me shut myself down, heal up, and get ready for next season so we can make a run next year, hopefully. That's what I'm hoping is the case. What also could be the case is he is doing a much more subtle Antonio Brown interpretation of basically saying, you know, I don't want to play here anymore. Trade me. As in the words of Gettleman, we didn't sign into a contract to trade him. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I agree with that. But, you know, especially after that interview that he did with ESPN back in, what, October or November, um, I have this bad, gnawing feeling that he's going to try, if they don't start winning and don't start being successful, that he's going to try to get out of New York and go to somewhere like L.A. where they're actually winning. See, I could see that if it's to a big market. I don't see him leaving for a small franchise. Oh, no, I agree with that. But that's what I'm saying. L.A., either L.A. at this point, would work perfectly for him. I do believe that if the price were correct and the situation were correct, then he would definitely consider moving on from where he is right now, for Mm -hmm. sure. All right, Eric, it is now time for you to give us a ode to Jacksonville for their season this year. And hopefully your microphone's a little bit quieter. It's not. Yeah, <laughs> just like technology, everything was great. I got my hopes up at the beginning of the season falsely because I knew, well, we were going to take a gigantic step backwards. Boy, was I right. I went in not trusting Blake Bortles. He proved me absolutely correct. I went in knowing the defense was going to be figured out. While they still 16 games in this league without surrendering a 300-yard passer is impressive. It only goes so far without your offense giving you any sort of a boost to turn those into meaningful wins. Down the stretch, they gave up. This is really, I can't even say I didn't expect this because I did. And I'm going on record right now. I've seen the Jaguars 2019 schedule. If we don't get a quarterback right, which with everything going on, I don't hold my breath. We're going to go from a five win team to maybe if we're lucky a three-win team. This is going to get a lot worse before there's any signs of it getting better. See, in Buffalo, I think that there's a sense of potential. It's tough saying goodbye to who has arguably been the the biggest and most influential player on your team for the last 13 years. We haven't talked about him nearly enough on this show over the two years that we've been doing it. But as a Buffalo Bills fan and a lifelong Bills fan at that, thank you, Kyle Williams. Thank you for everything you did in Buffalo. Thank you for being the heart and soul of that defense when it sucked 
And thank you for being the heart and soul of that defense when we finally broke the streak last year and made the postseason for the first time since 2000. Thank you, Kyle Williams. The other person that I think I need to thank right now is Josh Allen. Because Josh Allen has brought a renewed sense of passion to the Buffalo Bills fan base based on the way that he plays. He is the antithesis of what Nathan Peterman was in a Buffalo Bills jersey. Nathan Peterman was Prozac to Bills fans. And the irony of that is that he was also the one causing the depression that he was trying to treat. (laughs) Peterman is somebody who, when you first drafted him, you had these high expectations for, and then he's somebody that just never lived up to the expectations and never even came close to living up to the expectations that were placed upon him. And this is saying that it's the guy who's a fourth-round draft pick. Mr. Pickerman? Uh, the Interceptacon, I do believe he has been affectionately dubbed on this show. Fair enough. Here's the thing with Nathan Peterman now. Nathan Peterman is Oakland's problem. Josh <laughs> Allen. That's still uh, hilarious. Uh, well, He's not technically well, Oakland's problem. They don't know where they're playing next season. True. He may, he may be Las Vegas' problem for all we know. That being said... Josh Allen has brought a renewed faith to the franchise. He needs to work on his accuracy. I will be the first person to say that. However, he has brought a mobility to the Buffalo backfield that we have not seen in a very long time. I would make the argument that we probably haven't seen since... Bledsoe. And no, Bledsoe was very stationary. I would argue probably not since Kelly. I mean, maybe E.J. Manuel to an extent. I guess Tyrod Taylor was a runner, but Taylor was never anything resembling as accurate as with the the depth with the long ball as Allen is. There's a lot of places that this Bills team could go. I'm going to make one very bold prediction right now. Are you guys ready for this? Go for it. This was the last season for LaShawn McCoy in Buffalo. Hmm. He will I, not, I don't believe that. He will not be a Buffalo Bill next season. Can we have him? I honestly think that our starting running back next year will be Chris Ivory. Because Ivory showed in the games that McCoy missed that it wasn't McCoy this year. It was the line that was doing the bulk of the work. McCoy ended up with less than 500 yards in Buffalo this year. For what he is being paid... There is no way that he is worth the amount that he's getting. The other prediction that I'm going to make, Buffalo drafts a franchise-wide receiver with their first-round pick this year. I could see that. As far as, as far as who that wide receiver is going to be, that I can't tell you. I don't know. I'll take a look at the draft class once we get a little bit closer. We'll talk about it on our kickoff draft preview, and I'm sure we'll talk about it on our kickoff draft review as well. But I definitely see the Bills going after a franchise-wide receiver to give Josh Allen somebody that he can connect with on a more consistent basis and somebody that isn't a crybaby who underperformed, such as a Calvin Benjamin in Buffalo this year as well. Or they could go after a a nice solid running back to replace McCoy. There's a few nice running backs that aren't going to garner a a whole lot of attention, but they have big play 
possibilities and could probably slide far enough for Buffalo to pick up. The Bills picked ninth in the draft this year. I remember seeing that when I looked. Oh, at the they won't. They they won't take a running back first. What it's looking like is they'll either go defensive. From the mocks I'm seeing, is they're going to go defensive to help bring some youth in. Probably somebody to line up opposite Shaq Lawson in our defensive line. Yes, and and also add youth. I mean that. The younger you get within a skilled position, the better off you are. So, and like I said, I mean, I didn't touch on him too much earlier, but Josh Allen is was probably one of my favorite quarterbacks coming out this draft. I spoke highly of him. I'm glad he's in Buffalo. I think he's he's showing a whole different side of the quarterback position to some fans in Buffalo that they haven't seen, like you said, in a very long time. So I'm really happy that they're getting behind him and supporting him, and he's actually living up to the hype. If I'm not mistaken, I think I can actually remember our draft night conversation in our kickoff thread. And when Buffalo traded up on draft night, I do believe my exact words in the group chat was, oh, my God, we're getting out. You guys asked yeah. me the thing that I wanted the most when we did our pre-draft episode. We asked the question of what one person do you want the most for your team this year? I believe both you and Brandon both said Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. I know absolute undeniable doubt that my answer to that question was Josh Allen. Allen- uh, I, I was on board with you. Like I said, I mean, you can go back. I'd love to go back and see what our, our previews were. And who we thought was going to go where? I, I was. I'm. I'm a huge fan of Allen. We'll, we'll have to do that at the uh, end of the season. See how our predictions uh, played out. Well, here's what we can do. Actually, um, if we guys want to, let's do that for our end of the year episode. Let's go back and listen to our draft preview, and let's look at our season preview, and then we'll kind of compare and contrast how we did to how we thought we were going to do. Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. All right. With that being said now, we move on. It is now time for our Are You Serious segment. This weekend, we have a twist. A twist? There are four games on the schedule this Saturday and Sunday. We are going to predict all four of them against the spread. You guys give me a second to get over to the bed and grab my notebook. I had to step away because Christine fell asleep and I don't want to keep her awake while we're doing the show. Wake her ass up. We got a game to win tomorrow. <laughs> All right, let's do this here. We start with, and these are the current line on ESPN. So if the line changes between now and then, don't blame me. I'm just using the one that ESPN has. Let's Fair go enough. to the wild card picks. We start with the 4.30 game on Saturday on ESPN and ABC. Houston is a a one-and-a-half-point favorite against Indianapolis. Brandon, you start us off. I'm going to take Houston. I think Houston will be able to win this game, especially considering they're home. Eric. I got to stick with the Colts on this one. Uh, while I understand it's hard to beat a team twice, 
that close together come playoff time, I haven't seen enough of this current Texans team yet while I've seen a lot more of the Colts. Jason? I'm taking in Andrew Luck I trust and the Colts moving on. I think that there will be two wildcard teams that win on the road this weekend. There will be one in the AFC, one in the NFC. This is not the one in the AFC. I have the Houston Texans winning this game. It's okay. You can be wrong. (laughs) Let's move over to the nightcap. Fox has the Seattle Seahawks at the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas are a two-point favorite at home. Brandon. I'm going to take Seattle. Eric. This line has fluctuated between one and a half and two ever since it came out. I don't like Russell Wilson on the road. I like Dallas at home. They went seven and one there. And a bit of a factoid. Every team that has played in the Super Bowl since 2012 has not won a road game. I'm taking Dallas. Jason. Give me David Moore, touchdown pass to propel the Seahawks over the Cowboys. Eric will be on this branch by himself. I have Seattle coming to Dallas and not only winning, but winning handily. I do not think this game is close. Sean, I hope if you ever paid attention, which you probably haven't, to any part of any episode this season, this was it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move over to the AFC once again. The 1 o'clock game on CBS on Sunday Features the Chargers at the Ravens. Brandon? What's the line on this one? Baltimore, two and a half. Yeah, I'm taking uh, the Chargers on this one. I think um, I think this is, like I mentioned earlier, this is Philip Rivers' potential last chance. He's going to come in guns a-blazing, and Lamar Jackson is going to fall under the pressure of the playoffs. Eric. Go, Chargers, go. I said when we were uh, previewing these games, this L.A. defense is going to step up, figure out Baltimore's offense, and that's going to give Phillip Rivers just enough to begin this run. Jason. Uh, This is a tough one. I don't know. I don't know who I want to take. Yeah, I do. I'm going to take the Ravens. This time it'll be Jason standing alone as I think what happened in Los Angeles two weeks ago will sit heavy on the Chargers' minds and they will be coming out looking for revenge. Melvin Gordon plays this time. He did not play the first time. Philip Rivers in the postseason has a ton of experience. Lamar Jackson has exactly none. Give me the Chargers. 
The final wildcard weekend game is going to be on NBC at 430 when the Bears, six and a half point favorites, take on the Philadelphia Eagles. Brandon? Oh, wow. That's that's the biggest line in that. E- even if they don't win, give me the Eagles. I think the Eagles will probably win this game. But even if they don't, I think it's going to be a hell of a lot closer than six and a half. I think that I think it'll be a touchdown difference. Uh, a touchdown, or not, not touchdown, field goal. I meant. It's going to be a safety difference. <laughs> there we get go. It together. Yeah, I get it together. Yeah, Brandon, fair enough. <laughs> Vegas has this line set so large because they want everybody to bet on the Eagles. I ain't falling for it. I'll swallow that six and a half. I'll take the Bears. Jason. I can't leave Eric by himself. I'm taking the Bears simply because it's going to be a clock management and they have a nice running attack. And I think that they, if they can control the clock with that defense, they're definitely going to win. Do you guys remember who I said was the key for the game for Chicago earlier in this episode? No, I was asleep. <laughs> yeah, I, it's been a long show. I wouldn't blame you. I said the key for Chicago to win this game earlier in the episode was Jordan Howard mm-hmm. for the exact reason that Jason just mentioned. I think that Jordan Howard in the ground game of the Bears keeps Nick Foles off of the field long enough for the Bears to pick up the win and advance to play the Rams next weekend this time in Los Angeles. The unfortunate news for Chicago is Jarrett Goff plays really well in warm weather, but hey, at least the Bears get a playoff win out of this. The Bears by 10. So now I'm on an island this time around. You are. There is not a single there's not a single game where somebody isn't on an island for. Well, no, the uh the first game Houston you and Houston. I both yeah. are with Houston. Yeah, Houston Indy, I take that back. We split two two on Houston Indy. Every other game has somebody on an island. And ironically enough, it's not me in any of them. <laughs> so we'll have to see how the lines move here. The big thing here is that I'm going to be writing down the line at time of production for this show. Any line fluctuations do not affect our final line score. We are going off of the line as it is right now. Oh, okay. Ooh. Another twist. Because there have been a couple of games this year, one of which actually affected me last week and hurt me bad with the San Francisco and Los Angeles Rams game, that the Rams were like 11-point favorites when the game opened up. And then it was revealed that Goff wasn't playing and Gurley wasn't playing and the wide receiver, the star wide receiver wasn't playing. And that 11 and a half point line to the Rams ended up as a pick em, And I lost 16 points in the pool last week. <laughs> Bastards. Bro, that, that's just like bad beat on another level. <laughs> on the plus side, though, I did pick Texas over Georgia. Fair enough. 
And the only other person to get a college game last week, although it was the person that I needed to not get the college game right last week, was Brandon. He took Florida over Michigan. So thank you, Brandon. I do appreciate your love for the game. You're welcome. Appreciate it. All right. The playoffs are upon us, everybody. We had your wild card weekend coverage this week. We'll be, we will be back next week with your divisional coverage. We will be here for the conference championship games. We will definitely be here for the Super Bowl. As far as the Pro Bowl goes, I make no promises because, frankly, let's be honest, who cares? And it's Royal Rumble night. It is Royal Rumble Sunday, so it's not like I'm going to be watching anyway. <laughs> Eric, you're going to be in charge of our Pro Bowl coverage because none of us are watching it. I'll be flipping between that and the other all-star games that day. So, yeah. Yeah. That's what I do up until the rumble starts, too. You might get a show from us that week. You won't get any Pro Bowl coverage from us that week. Heck, we might just use that week to go back and rewind to our thoughts. From uh, that's what I was going to say. We could use that week to go back and well, and see and like, see oh. how our predictions went and give the final uh, standings for uh, Are You Serious? Not not true, Brandon. There will be one more week of Are You Serious because the weekend after the Pro Bowl is the Super Bowl. I, and we will be doing a mega pick for the Super Bowl. Fair enough. I'm going, I'm going to be prop betting the absolute crap out of you guys on the Super Bowl just to make it interesting. Okay, then. Now remember, if you want to build those prop bets, go to my bookie. <laughs> Full customization, I'm just saying. Where can they find that website, Eric? mybookie.ag and at betmybookie on Twitter. They respond to every DM and every tweet. Supposedly. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Brandon. For Jason Teasley, Eric We We forgot one game. What would that be? Oh, we forgot the College Football National Championship, didn't we? Oh, yeah, we did. Who cares? Clemson. North Dakota State. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Eric. I was gonna say, why are you thanking me? Get it together, Brandon. I, I I agree with Eric. My official pick is North Dakota State. Because that is a real right. national I championship. Wanna, I'm really I'm really gonna take the West Virginia Hoot Owls. Um it physically pains me to say this. Uh give me Bama against Clemson on Monday night. If we must pick between the the fake the the fake myth and the mythical national championship, I'll choose Bama. Well, technically, again. well, technically, Brandon, these are the only two undefeated teams left in college football. True, I will give you that. This year around, it does work. Um, hey, I'll, but hey, guess what? They're going to be the first fifteen and O team since the mighty Penn Quakers did it back in eighteen ninety seven. You don't see them bragging about that national championship now, do you? Mm-hmm. In fairness, quick in fairness, the Quakers are a modest bunch. They rely on simpler times. Fair enough. Sure but, yeah, I, I, if, I hear they make some kick ass oats. Yes, they do. If I must I have I guess I'll have to pick Bama. Eric, who you got real quick? Clemson two two going into the best of five, which will be concluded next year. All right, so we will actually talk about the college national championship game, even though I completely forgot to talk about it today. We had more important things to talk about. The NFL is here, and frankly, none of the four of us care about Clemson or Alabama. Or, the, or the mythical national championship. 
You... Only if it's a fine bomb film room. Other than that, whatever. Now, can I wrap up the show, Jason? Go right ahead. I just know that we we say we just want to talk about them. We we ran along everywhere else, and I just yeah, that's y'all. One of the main reasons that I honestly didn't get around to it here is we had a really long episode. I'm sure we have to be pushing the two-hour mark, if not over it. Oh, we're well beyond it. We're yeah. like three. Not quite that far. 2.15. So let's get out of here while we can. For the chairman of the W2M Network, Jason Teasley, the executive, the executive producer turned co-host, Eric Watkins, the co-host... The co-host turned executive producer, Brandon Biscuiting. He's never on time. <laughs> I'm your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. You have been listening to The Kickoff here on the W2M Network, a presentation of W2Mnet.com, available online at the aforementioned website and also available on any of your podcast listening devices of choice, be it Stitcher, Spreaker, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Podcast, Podbean, Castbox. Hey Brandon, guess what? Spotify is here. And yeah. Harry and Harry's the runner-up in fantasy football. Goodbye. <laughs> I'd yell if it wasn't true. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week for the divisional round. You suck. <laughs> <laughs>